0: I think that song just summed it up right there. I'll fly away. You know, I'm not going to fly to a state of nothingness for a thousand years or whatever. I'm going to fly away immediately in the presence of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this evening. We didn't do the public reading, but that, oh, well, that's fine. We did some other things this evening. It's been a little bit different this evening, and I'm glad you're here. And Anybody be listening out there um, on Thanksgiving or whatever. you know, you have a full meal and you want to f- fall asleep, just tune in to me and I'll put you to sleep. So whatever you want, you know, but we're going to conclude tonight, the second part to what we started Sunday morning, when Christians die is our trip to heaven immediate. Okay. You know, while it is true, there are many things in God's word that tells us that doesn't tell us about heaven or hell. There are many questions that are not answered. But one thing is crystal clear, and I'm going to say it again, and don't shoot me, and I've said this a million times. We all are going to die one day, aren't we? It is inevitable because, because of that, we have one of two destinations that we are going to find, each one of us are going to find ourselves in. Randy Outcorn. I'll go over again um, from Sunday morning. He observed that worldwide, that every second three people die, every minute 180 people will die and that's 11,000 every hour he said quote if the Bible is right about what happens to us after death it means then more than a quarter of a million people every day go to either heaven or hell that's a big number over a quarter of a million every single day why is it none of us escape death uh, or get out of this world alive Why is death inevitable for every single one of us? We'll go over this again. Ecclesiastes 9.2, Solomon said, It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice or for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner, he says. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. There is one fate for everyone, and that is death. With two different destinies, though, heaven or hell. Why is it both Christians and non-Christians have to die? We've talked about this until I'm blue in the face. We all know the answer to this because of the real virus, not this pandemic that's been going on for almost two years now. The real virus that has infected and infiltrated everything in that God made was good from the beginning until now, the sin virus, S-I-N, is because of that. Paul said in Romans 3.23, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he says then in uh, 6.23 of Romans, he says, that payment for that, the wages of sin is death. That is the payment for our sins. But what happens to a Christian when he dies? Someone once said, we're not in the land of the living, headed to the land of the dying. Oh, no, it's the contrary. We are in the right now in the land of the dying, headed to the land of the living. And most people don't look at it like that. But that's exactly what is going on here. That's true for a Christian. Death is not the end of our story. It's just the beginning of that eternal reunion we will have with God the Father one day. Now, well, what is all, when does all of this happen exactly, okay? Now, I talked about Sunday morning. I'm going to touch on it again. To understand how important this is, the importance of it is to know the difference between the present heaven we have and a future heaven that still is yet to come. We talked about it in depth before in our previous discussion in Bible prophecy. We talked about the three degrees of heaven. That third heaven, which is way gazillions and bazillions of miles out there, The third heaven, that's the abode of God. When you and I as Christians die, the moment we take our last breath, we are immediately at the third heaven. We don't have to take a space rocket to get there. We immediately, phew, we are in the presence of God. And that's where Jesus is at at this moment as well. But that is not our eternal dwelling place. There is a present heaven where God is. But then in John 14, Jesus said, he was going to go prepare another place, not the third heaven. That third heaven has been in existence since the beginning of creation, the third heaven, this new heaven, that a new earth that Christ is constructing for us right now. He said, I go to what? He said, to prepare a place for you. Heaven is where God is already, the future heaven. One day, John said, he saw in Revelation 21, he saw the newly created heaven heaven and the, new, the newly created Jerusalem, the new city, the new Jerusalem coming down, uh, descending down on a newly created earth. That's our final destination. Not up there floating around doing whatever we think we wanna do. Adam and Eve, when they were created in the perfect world, their feet were planted squarely on solid ground. And you and I are gonna be doing the exact same thing one day, you know, isn't that, isn't that something? That is our ultimate destination. But now the moment we die, we are immediately, uh, our departure from this world, we are in the presence of God. How do I know that? Well, let's look at a little bit of scripture. Look at Luke 23, 43, the thief on the cross, the one who accepted Christ, he said, and he said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll, you'll be with me, he said, in paradise, not hundreds or thousands of years later. When that thief died later on after Christ did, he was immediately in the presence of Jesus. And then look at Philippians 1 23, the apostle Paul, what did he say, but I am hard pressed. He said from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better. The moment Paul knew the moment he was gonna die, he was gonna depart and be with Christ right at that moment. He knew that. To depart from this world is to be with Christ. And that Greek word I said Sunday for depart, analeo, it means to loosen, to loosen the grip of, okay? And it refers to the untying of a ship so it can set sail in the waters. And that's what Paul was using to describe that. The moment we die, we're loosened from every strong arm grip from the things of this world tying us down. And whenever we're loosened up, we're analeoed, we're untied so we can venture on and sail into the presence of, jesus i love that illustration we can sail into the presence of christ at that moment we think like many other people we may have mistakenly thought in the past many people think this world is their final home this is all there is that this world is their home the bible says absolutely not it is not it is only a temporary location yeah we have loved ones and family we have obligations even as Christians, because he didn't rapture us the moment we were saved, he left us here to fulfill many of Christ's duties on this earth. But however, those duties, as much well as our lives, are temporary. This place is not our home. We're just a passing through, aren't we? The moment we leave this body, we are forever at home with the Lord. Now, there are some people who believe that even though there is a resurrection body, we're gonna get at the rapture, that's free from sin and suffering, maybe we receive a temporary body the moment we die and go to heaven. I speculated on that. We don't know for sure. that I told you that's just conjecture. We've always encompassed the body since the day of conception when we were born. And we're going to have a resurrection body one day at the rapture that's going to be free and completely perfect like it was supposed to be in the beginning until the fall of man, Adam and Eve. But then in between time when we die, there may very well be something that we do encompass, some kind of body. But we know after we die, our spirit immediately, the essence of who we are, goes to be with the Lord, awaiting that final resurrection body that will occur at the rapture. Look at it on that day. First Thessalonians 4, 16, he said, Paul said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? We will not precede those who have fallen asleep in Christ. We will meet them with the Lord in the air and we will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye as Paul elaborated in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's what awaits us to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Now, I'm going to get to the question that I ended on. I kind of left you hanging. Some of you may already know the answer. Some people ask, what about those who died before Jesus? You ever wondered that? I used to think that before, too, before I kind of got a little more smart, you know. What happened to the Old Testament saints? Uh, you know, Noah and Abraham and David and and Esther and um, on and on, you know, uh, uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel and all the minor prophets. What happened to all of these great men and women of faith? They were They were alive before Christ was, physically born. We know Christ was in existence since eternity past, but Christ had not come yet to give his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. That plan of salvation had not been established. Were they even saved? They were born before Jesus. How were the Old Testament saints saved? And then I leaned over. I said, come back tonight. Well, I can't do that now. I've got to give you an answer. Well, here it is. It's very simple. They were saved just the same way that you and I are saved today. I got a deer to headlight look for everybody. Okay, you understand that? They were saved the same way that you and I and you out there listening were saved. They were saved by the death of Jesus on the cross for their sins. Now, they lived before Jesus, somebody will ask. How could Jesus' death save them if they lived before Christ? Have you ever wondered that? I used to think that myself. They were saved on that C word, credit. Anybody ever heard of the word credit before? We all know the concept of credit. Who's, who knows the concept of credit out there? Every single one of us, except the girls, that they just think that they're going to find out one of these days. And if you out there who are young, if you're listening, you're going to know what credit is. Thank God. But you won't, If you have to buy this on a credit, you're in some serious trouble. You should not have to have... Dasani water on credit but anyway we all understand that concept now look at it like this let's just say um, Gary starts it, his job let's pray that he gets his job at Menards and I'm just thinking hypothetically they say Gary you are this year you are 500th hiree congratulations here is a Menards MasterCard on us oh thank you so much I just love this little plastic card so they said you can have whatever you want in the store for nothing it's free just pick out a brand new refrigerator or donna a washer and dryer or something for christmas and you just come take wheel it up front and give me this little worthless piece of plastic here and it's yours for free you don't have to pay a red cent gary and gary's all excited but he knows in the back of his mind yeah it's free for 30 days until the bill comes due isn't it that's the way it works that's the way it should work anyway you know you give them that, and you can leave with it and not cost you one red cent. Sounds great. Then it has to be paid for afterwards. Now it's the same way with the Old Testament saints, okay? They didn't have any plastic credit cards. I don't think they did. They didn't have it, but what they did have was called faith, though. They didn't have a credit card. They had faith. Look at Genesis fifteen six. Moses wrote, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Moses was not a Southerner, I reckoned, okay? That word, reckon, is a very important word. It means, uh, it's an accounting term, okay, to be credited, all right? Abraham, as well as all the other Old Testament saints, believed whatever God had revealed to them at that time. The bill for their sins, just like our sins, came due not 30 days later, but to them thousands of years later at the cross of Calvary when Christ paid that ultimate price. He paid that debt for you. He paid it for me. Their little bit of faith in and of itself was just, just as worthless as that plastic credit card. What little bit of faith they had. Faith can't save us. Can faith save us? Absolutely not. We, it is through faith, but how are we saved? We're saved by the blood of Jesus through faith. God's amazing grace. That is what saves us. However, their, their exercise of that little bit of faith of whatever God had told them allowed them to be saved on credit, okay? The bill for their sins, just like our sins, was paid in full at the cross. That's why some of Jesus' final words in John 19, 30, what he said, what did he say? It is finished. In Greek, te telestai, literally, Paid in full. That credit card was paid off at that moment by the blood of Jesus. And that's how the Old Testament saints were saved. Did y'all already know that? Okay, all right. I'm not getting much out of y'all. Let's get motivated a little bit here. All right, okay, M song got me pumped this evening. All right, I feel good because you know why? I don't have to get up and go to work tomorrow and not other the rest of you all. So praise be to God for that. That's something to be thankful for, isn't it? just like we are saved by the blood, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Now, where did they go? Okay, now we're gonna get off into the weeds a little bit, but stick with me, all right? To understand where they went, understand the concept of who's heard of Sheol in the Old Testament. Sheol, and we know the word Hades, okay? Sheol is a Hebrew word meaning covered or hidden. Follow me? Okay, we're taking this step by step so we stay awake this evening, okay? All right. Many people believe that before Christ came, there was a dwelling place for both the righteous and the unrighteous. And they called that place Sheol. Now think of it as like a big duplex, all right? Think of it like that. But it was divided into two parts, two equal halves. One part was for the righteous, those that were saved. That was called Abraham's bosom, that half of Sheol. The other part of this duplex was the other half for the unrighteous. Hades, all right? Everybody still with me? Okay, okay, I'm feeling good, okay? The idea was that in the Old Testament, when people died, they either went to Abraham's bosom, paradise, or they went to that bad place, the other part of the duplex, Hades, a place of suffering. So the thinking was going that after Jesus, he died on the cross, okay? Before he was raised from the dead, during those days, those three Jewish days on the calendar, Christ had went down to Sheol and emptied out the good part of the duplex, Abraham's bosom, and that he had then taken all the Old Testament saints up into heaven forever. Now, people who believe that, they have a passage of Scripture that they go off of. Ephesians chapter 4 where it's talking about Jesus, that he said that he ascended, uh, first descended to the lower parts of the earth and led captivity captive. If I, if you ever read that OK, I'm going to show you one of these days when I when I talk, if I talk about that, that is not what that means. OK, that is not what that is talking about. You want to know what it's talking about? Come back another time for the sermon. How's that for a cop out? OK, so you're not going to get that out of me tonight. We've got to keep trucking along here. All right. I don't believe that is all that what. Happens, but the concept of two destinations for the righteous and unrighteous is biblical. That part is true. The other part, I think, is a little out there, a little bit. But many people believe that, and we find that story of two different separate destinations is a story Jesus told in Luke chapter sixteen. We've been through this before. We're going to touch on it briefly again. Uh, it's the concept of Abraham's bosom and Hades. Remember the the story Jesus told, the story of the two men. Lazarus and the rich man the rich man had everything going for him he had the finest of everything and Lazarus the poor old Lazarus had nothing and sores and the dogs were licking his wounds and he was barely fed he was starving to death well he died and he was immediately in the presence of Christ in paradise Abraham's bosom the rich man later on he had to die as well and he found himself in Hades. Now, let's look at the story. Luke 16, verses 22 through 24. It says, Now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. Now, real quickly, before I go any further, I didn't have this in here, but just because somebody's poor isn't, you're not, doesn't make that person righteous in and of itself, okay? That doesn't automatically get them to heaven. I thought I'd throw that in there. But Let's continue on. In Hades, he says, The rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. Why? He said, For I am in agony in this flame. This passage reminds us of a couple of things, and Daniel is going to share them with you. Number one, not everyone goes to the same location after death, all right? Great misconception that many false teachers want to teach. We all go to heaven, this universalism, that there's nothing can be further from the truth. That's n- there's not one destiny, there are two destinies. Remember, Jesus is the one, he's saying all this. And there's a place of blessing and a place of judgment. And number two, when we die, we immediately begin experiencing God's blessing or God's wrath. Immediately, there is no waiting time for that. It's it's immediate. Immediately, Lazarus was welcomed into paradise, and and in the flip side, immediately, the rich man was experiencing everlasting torture and torment. What I believe that this passage is teaching is this. Abraham's bosom, that is paradise, is not some part of any kind of divine duplex that some people might want to categorize it as. It's where God is right now. This place, Jesus said, was far, far away. It wasn't next to Hades, like a duplex, okay? Besides, the Bible said in verse 26, Jesus said, And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. When a believer dies, he immediately goes into the presence of the Lord. That's where all the Old Testament saints are. Jesus said to the thief uh, on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That's another name for the presence of the Lord. Believers immediately go into God's presence. Now, while we are there, we are awaiting the creation of this new heaven and new earth that will be our permanent dwelling place. And that leads to another question. What happens to unbelievers when they die. Just like believers um, have a current destination, a third heaven, and then uh, one day, some people call it a fourth heaven, that's the new heaven and new earth, there's a temporary and then eternal destination for unbelievers, for the unsaved. The unsaved immediately go to this place called Hades. And again, in verses 23 and 24 of Luke, he said, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, okay? Hades is a temporary waiting place for the unsaved dead. It's not purgatory. I got pretty blunt Sunday morning. There is no purgatory. And I'm not going to go any more into that. I'm not going to try to make anybody else mad if they were listening. If they listen, they probably got an earful. There is no such thing as purgatory. The Bible does not teach that anywhere at all. This is a place of horrible torment for the moment an unbeliever dies. But this isn't their final destination. Look at it with me. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. The final destination is the lake of fire. And this is how John described it. He said, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose present earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written down in the Lamb's book of life, he was thrown alive in the lake of fire. It's a place of eternal suffering forever and ever. People are not destroyed. We've touched on that before. We talked about the beast and the false prophet. A thousand years at the beginning of the millennium, a thousand years later when Satan is finally at the end of the millennium is thrown into lake of fire. The Bible says John saw the beast and false prophet were still alive, being tormented and being tortured in that horrible, horrible place. It will be the same for all unbelievers. Right now, when an unbeliever dies, he immediately goes to that awful place called Hades, awaiting his final judgment. But notice the common experience for all of these people, agony. It is complete agony, physical plane. Luke 16, 24 says the rich man was in agony in that flame. Peter put it like this in 2 Peter 2, 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Peter is saying right now that those who die without Christ are in Hades. They're awaiting that final judgment, which is called that great white throne judgment. At that judgment, Hades will be completely emptied and all the unsaved from, from eternity's past, from the beginning of time, they will face this judgment. No one will escape it. And because their name wasn't found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. That's a choice we all have to make on this earth right now. There is no second chance once we take our last breath. And the reason reason their name isn't on there is plain and simple. They told God, I don't need you. I don't need the blood of Jesus, your son. I don't need any of that. I can make it on my own, on my own good works to get to heaven. And what does God say fine that that's the way you want it we will judge you by your works and by at that point when they're all standing in line at that great white throne judgment and they see and they can hear the ones that are being judged who may have been good moral people in their own eyes and estimation once they realize the standards that they're being judged by are not their standards but by the perfection of his son Jesus Christ that confidence is going to turn to disarray when they realize oops. Too little, too late. I should have made that right decision on the other side. On that day, every believer who has ever lived will see as their good works might have have been good to them. It doesn't meet up that 100% righteousness that God requires. And we all fall short of that, don't we? We all fall short of it. Every believer will then understand why they have been sentenced to that lake of fire In hell, though, remember this, in hell, everyone is a believer. Everyone's a believer. Here's the basic truth about everything everyone needs to understand. When we die, we begin immediately experiencing God's blessing or you're going to experience God's judgment. And while it's true, at some future day, believers will change from that third heaven to that newly created heaven and earth. While it's true, unbelievers, they're going to change locations as well from Hades to die a second death in the lake of fire. A change of location is not the same as, as a change of eternal destiny. Heaven and hell are eternal choices we make on this side of the grave. Pastor Erwin Lutzer said it this way in closing. He says, five minutes after you die, you will either have had your first glimpse of heaven with its euphoria and bliss, or your first genuine experience of unrelenting horror and regret. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. In those first moments, you will be more alive than you have ever been, he said. Vivid memories of your friends and your life from planet Earth will be mingled with a daunting anticipation of eternity. You will have had your first direct glimpse of Christ or you will have had your first encounter with evil as you have never, ever known it. And it will be too late to change your address. Very well said, wasn't it? The bottom line is, if you wait until you die to choose your final destination, you will have waited one second too late because heaven and hell are forever choices. Let's bow together in prayer. answer that question where do we go when we die it's appointed for every one of us to die and then the judgment the bible teaches you can't escape death one of these days it's going to come knocking at your door wouldn't you want to know for sure that your eternal destiny is secure in christ jesus the moment you die knowing you're going to be in the presence of jesus that's the greatest decision you'll have to make in your life. And I implore you, if God's Spirit is working on you tonight, the Bible says don't hold off. Today is the day of salvation. Don't hold off on it. You're not guaranteed the next five minutes, much less one minute. Make that decision if, God, if God's Holy Spirit is convicting you, making you understand you're a sinner. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. Make that decision right now. It's the greatest decision I said that you will ever ever made, knowing that when you take your last breath, you're going to head to glory land. You're going to be in the presence of Jesus awaiting that newly created heaven and earth one day. If God's spirit is working on you and there's nothing else, I'm telling you in this world, a movement, family, nobody, nothing can help you, can save you. You can't save yourself. No one can save you only through the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins that he shed on Calvary. You can be saved. You can say this simple prayer with me right now if you really mean it with all your heart. Say this simple prayer with me knowing that God is listening and waiting for you to make that call. Say this prayer with me right now in your heart or aloud with me however you want to do it. Dear God, thank you for loving me and I am truly sorry God for those sins in my life. But I believe what I've heard this evening that you love me so much You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus who took the punishment for my sins on the cross at Calvary for that punishment I deserve for my sins. And I'm trusting in what Christ and Christ alone did to save me of my sins, not by good works, but only by what Jesus did, the shedding of that precious blood on Calvary did to save me of my sins. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And I'm praying right now that you will help me spend the rest of my life serving you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it with all your heart, you have a new destination waiting for you one day in heaven with your loved ones who have died in Christ. Not this horrible place, hell, Hades, and then one day the lake of fire, you're gonna be in the presence of Jesus the moment you die but he's gonna probably leave you here for some time because he has a great plan for you in your new Christian walk. The first thing you wanna do is give a personal testimony to your family, your friends, your loved ones, everyone who will listen about what Christ just did for you, taking and throwing away that old life and creating your life new, your new walk with Jesus. And tell everyone about what Christ did for you. It's a great testimony to your lost friends and loved ones of what Christ had done for you and, the, and through your great your great uh, works in the church and staying in your Bible, people will see that and people will want to know what happened to you in your walk. Well, Christ just made that big difference in your life. Tell people about what Jesus did and then get into a Bible-believing, teaching church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word from Genesis to the maps. They teach about sin. What, and what we deal with on a daily basis. Sin has infected everything in your life, and your families, the entire world. That's why the world's the shape it's in, not because of politics and and coronavirus and everything, violence on the streets. It all comes down to that three-letter word, S-I-N, sin. Make sure you're in a Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's word and they don't sugarcoat scripture to be politically correct, to tickle your ears, to make you feel good for a while, and a motivational speech. Make sure they're teaching all of God's Word. Just like this church, Pleasant View Missionary Baptist. Our information is on our Facebook page. Daniel back there has comprised a wonderful, wonderful uh, website that even some bigger churches can't hold a candlestick to. He has done a great job. Check our website out, pvbaptistchurch.org. We have great blogs on there, sermons from Lord knows when back in the past. Go back and look at some of those sermons and the previous pastor who was here great sermons that out there to help teach you and guide you in your christian walk if you can't get into this church get into another bible believing church that teaches the whole counsel of god's word but we would love to have you here just our information again is out there for you get in touch with us father in heaven i pray this evening that no one at the sound of my voice or some other great teacher out there that it they've heard uh, the gospel message, and they have heard that call of salvation, it's been brought to them. I pray that no one will resist that call of salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.